Holy Gospel according to Mark. Some Pharisees came, and to test Jesus, they asked him, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? Jesus answered them, What did Moses command you? They said, Moses allowed a man to write a certificate of dismissal and to divorce her. But Jesus said to them, Because of your hardness of heart, he wrote this commandment for you. But from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. Then in the house of the, in the, house of the disciples asked, them, asked him again about this matter. And he said to them, Whoever divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery against her. And if she divorces her husband and marries another, she commits adultery. People were bringing little children to Jesus in order that he might touch them. And the disciples spoke sternly to them. But when Jesus saw this, he was indignant and said to them, Let the little children come to me. Do not stop them. For it is, such, it is to such as these that the kingdom of God belongs. Truly I tell you, Whoever does not receive the kingdom of God as a little child will never enter it. And Jesus took them up in his arms, laid his hands on them, and blessed them. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O God. I invite the congregation to be seated. So this morning we, uh, we heard a reading from the first book of the Bible, as Pastor Karen mentioned in Genesis chapter 2. And I wanted, to, I wanted to start out thinking about that particular story. You know, we... We have in Genesis chapter 1 what I call the, I guess for the, for the more mature people in the audience, I might say the Cecil, Cecil B. DeMille version of creation. Or for the younger people in the congregation, I might say the Michael Bay version. And what this means to me is we have God doing big things in the way we expect God to do big things. God is on high. God is out there somewhere and creation is here and God speaks into the nothingness and things begin to exist. You know, and I'm thinking of Michael Bay who likes big explosions in movies. You know, I, I think of the idea of the Big Bang and God saying, let there be light. And what puts off more, better, more impressive light than a big explosion at the big beginning of everything, right? And God continues speaking things into existence day after day after day. And everything God creates is good. And finally, God comes to the point where God rests. Genesis chapter 2 is also a creation story, but it's a different type of creation story. We, we don't see this big, large, mega image of God transcendent in the universe speaking things into existence. We see an intimate, personal image of God, like a, like a biographical film where we have God in a close-up looking at the dirt and forming the man and breathing the breath of life into the man's lungs and looking at the man and saying, it's not good for you to be alone. And we see something in this depiction of God that I think also speaks to the character of God, who God is. God isn't just out there. God is with us. Even at the beginning of Genesis, as, as we as people who follow Jesus are thinking forward to Emmanuel, God with us, in the person of Jesus, even at the beginning of the Bible, God is with us. And God sees something that I think is really interesting. God sees that what the man needs is something that maybe not even God can provide. 
Because think about who God is. God is the ultimate one who is from the outside. He's not from here because he created here. God is the one who has power and majesty and glory and might. God is the one in whom all authority in heaven and on earth rests. And what is it that even God might not be able to do? Have a relationship with a man as an equal. Because God is always God and we are not. And so God sees something in the man that I think becomes very important for all of us. God recognizes that we all need those relationships in our lives. Those people who help us. Those people who partner with us. Those people who can hear our voice and the way we speak it. Who understand our hurts. Who understand our joys. Who understand our fears. Who understand our hopes. Those people who share their lives with us. Whether they're someone who's a spouse or whether there's someone who is a family member, whether there's someone who is a close friend, whether they're just someone who cares about who we are and what's going on in our lives and wants to provide us a listening ear. We all need those people in our lives who can understand who we are and who can hear our voice. We also see in Genesis 2 something else that's important to me. God, I don't think, at least according to this story, had in mind particularly what that needed to be. You know, God didn't create the man and say it's not good for the man to be alone, so I'm going to create a woman as his helper. God said it's not good for the man to be alone, so let's try a couple things. It shows that the character of God as a creator is one who is a little bit playful and one who likes to experiment. And so God then brings forth all the animals. And I imagine, you know, God saying to the man, you know, here's, here's something that eats ants and has a long trunk. And the man says, well, we can call it an anteater. Well, do you think this one can understand who you are? I don't think so. And after going through all of the animals and everything that creeps along the earth and everything that God has created, finally God causes the sleep to fall upon the man, extracts, extracts a rib, which is an important piece because a rib is a choice piece of meat. It's, I, I don't know uh, if in your families you all have any traditions where you have things that you all fight over at the table. And in my family growing up, my, my grandfather was from Italy and used to make spaghetti sauce. And in the spaghetti sauce, he always had a rib bone, and we fought over that rib bone. Whether there was meat or whether it was just bone or whatever it was, because after soaking in that spaghetti sauce for however long it was, it tasted like it was heaven. It was wonderful. This, this rib is the choicest part of the man. And from this, the woman was created. And we, we hear the word helper... And a lot of times we think of the word helper if, you know, I worked as an electrician's helper for a while. And what that meant to me was I did what the electrician told me. But this isn't the kind of helper we're talking about. The kind of helper we're talking about is the kind of helper that Jesus talks about with regard to the Holy Spirit in the, in the Gospel of John. I'll send you a helper. I'll send you someone to come after me who will lead you into truth, who will lead you. And the helper is someone who is a partner who is an equal, is someone with whom we share our lives and our time. And so it's interesting to me that in a tradition, in a faith, in a culture where women throughout the Bible are often put in a place that's subservient to men, at the very beginning, the intention of God seems to be that women and men are equal partners in this together. That there is one who understands who you are and what you're about. You know, and that's a wonderful thing to think about the marriage relationship. 
It's a wonderful thing to think that, you know, when we stand at the altar with the person that we love and we make those promises before God and we make those promises before our families and we make those promises to each other that we will love and cherish and forsake all others and we'll do all those things that we promise. And, and there on out, from, from now on, we do that perfectly, right? Marriage is always a walk in the park. Well, I don't know about y'all. But I remember probably my first fight with my wife as a married couple, and it was my fault, was what exit to take on the way to get off of the interstate on our way to the honeymoon. You know, and it was Charleston. And she'd been there before, and I really hadn't when I was driving. You know, I, I remember a lot of times in my life where, you know, I, I look at this person who God has given me, and I believe this, that God gave her to me, both as someone to, to help me understand what love is, to help me understand my own limitations and my own faults, to help me understand better how much I can love and what a good person I can be, to help me understand better what it means to be part of not just a family here on earth, but to understand better what it means to be a part of God's family as she shows me love that is unconditional, if sometimes frustrated. And, you know, I think about all the different ways that day after day I both keep those marital vows and that, that I also break those marital vows. In particular, I think one of the ones that's really a struggle for us is that line, forsake all others. We had that in our marriage vows, and I know that, that there's a lot of options in our marriage ceremony in the Lutheran worship books. But that was one that we had in there, forsaking all others. And I, and I think about what that means and the ways that I both keep it and have trouble with it. You know, my wife is a Ph.D. candidate, which means that she is busy. She has a lot of studying, a lot of research, a lot of things that demand her attention. I'm an assistant to the bishop, and even before that, when I was a student in seminary and then doing a residency at the hospital and then a pastor in a congregation or a hospice chaplain as an assistant to the bishop, you know, my time is also at a premium. There are always places I need to go, always places I need to be, always people I need to talk to. And there was a point when I was the pastor at St. John's where she looked at me and said, I don't know if I've been able to have dinner with you for four years without your phone ringing in the middle of it. And that was one of those times where we had a conversation about what it means to forsake all others for the sake of the one who God has given us. It is so easy to put other things first because it's so easy to take for granted that this one who loves me, this one who is given by God to love me, who has been given by God for me to love, is always going to be there. And it's easy to forget with those people who we love and have a good relationship with us that in order to maintain that relationship, then we have to make sure that we do the things we need to do to tend it and to cultivate it and to help it grow and to breathe that breath of life back into it in those times when it's gone dry, in those times when it feels stagnant, in those times... And that's the other thing with marriage. There are always moments where you're sitting on the couch and you wonder, is this something that we can maintain? You know, in, in the best of times, marriage is probably the hardest relationship we'll ever have. In the worst of times, it's just impossible. You know, and it is, it is not a modern phenomenon that husbands and wives and spouses and partners and all the rest of them get together and fall in love and, and seal this covenant and then break up. You know, that's what today's gospel is about, right? 
That's the first thing that I hear when I read this passage because I know how deeply divorce affects so many families around me, how deeply divorce affects people in my life, how deeply, even in the best of circumstances, how deeply painful, how, how deep a wound it can be, both for the people who are in the relationship that splits or their children or for their families and for the people who are who are deep in our hearts, who we know are hurting because of the ways relationships can be painful. You know, we, we see this passage in the scripture, and that's the word that jumps out to me. And so it's interesting to me to see that even back in Jesus' day, people are willing to use some of the most painful events in our lives to attack each other. When the Pharisees asked Jesus, is it legal for a man to divorce his wife? I see the answer of Jesus, and it strikes me what the beginning of that is. Well, Moses gave you the law because your hearts are so hard. And isn't that the truth? As, as much as we are able to forgive people, you know, and, and sometimes it's easier to forgive strangers than it is to forgive our spouses. It's easier to forgive those people who are acquaintances than it is to forgive those people in our family. It's, it's easier to forgive people who we don't really have much to do with than it is to forgive those people who are closest to us because those people who are over here who we might like and enjoy and appreciate but we have relationships with, arm, with at arm's length, those are people who are not close enough to cut us to the bone, to hurt our hearts, to crush our souls, to make us question everything about ourselves that we thought we knew because the weight of that hurt can cut so deep. And when I think of what that hardness of heart is, you know, I think of those times when in my family we have had arguments and it's been hard for me to forgive the people in my family. You know, I remember, I remember growing up with mom and dad. There got to be a point when I was about 17 years old when there was no house in this world that was large enough for my father and I to be in together. And, and every time I looked at him, I was so angry. I didn't really have a good, good reason other than that I was 17 and I was beginning that work of, of differentiating myself and getting ready to leave and doing that healthy thing that we all do. But at 17, you don't really have that kind of realization. But whatever it was that he said, he was wrong. Whatever he thought was dumb. Whatever he told me to do was the wrong thing because what do you know, Dad? You don't understand my life. You don't understand what I'm doing. You don't understand where I'm coming from. And... You know, I, I, all I thought about was how deeply it hurt me when he said things that, that were hurtful to me and when he said things that were stern to me and when he told me what to do. And if you know me, you know I don't like being told what to do, you know, even by myself. And, you know, it wasn't until later that I realized that Dad had obviously done some work because all of a sudden he started sounding smart again around the time I got married. You know, by the time I was 26, he had really done some good work because he was a pretty smart guy again. And it, it wasn't until I held my daughter six months ago that I realized something that's on the other end of that relationship. Not just how deeply dad hurt me, but the unique capacity that I had to hurt him and the sharp words that I said and, and the ways that I spoke to him and the ways that I pushed him away when he just wanted to draw me close. And, you know, it's like that with our parents, and it's like that with our children. 
Fortunately, my daughter doesn't speak, talk back to me just yet. But, you know, she's excelling in all areas because obviously she's the cutest and smartest baby who's ever lived. And, and so I expect her to excel in this area too. And, you know, we excel in that with our, with our spouses as well, don't we? There is nobody who can hurt us like our spouse. And there is nobody we can hurt like our spouse because there's no one who we know and is vulnerable enough to us because we know their hurting places the same way they know our hurting places, like those people who are closest to us. So Jesus said, Moses gave you the law because your hearts are hard. And you think about what that law was. A man could just write a notice and divorce his wife for no good reason. And, you know, first of all, when I think about that, in, in certain moments in my life, I'm very fortunate that wasn't the case. But, but also when I think about that, I realize, you know, just how impulsive and, and just how much power and, and just how, how wrong that really is to be able to discard someone that you claim to love so easily. And when I think about this in the context of Genesis chapter 2, when God takes from the man that most precious part of him and creates for him someone who is to be his companion in a way that he, even God can't and that relationship of equals, how wrong that really is, right? And so when, when Jesus makes this pronouncement that says a man shall not divorce his wife except in cases of adultery and the wife should do the same, you know, and that if, if we're divorced, then... You know, we're committing adultery and all the other things that all of a sudden get way into the weeds, especially in our culture where this is such a part of our culture and where there is so much pain associated with it because people use this as a way to beat each other over the head. You know, what I hear Jesus really saying even more than here's a new law is you are people who are called not to be hard of heart. And therefore, you are called to be a people who have consideration for people over whom you have power. You know, we all know that the men in those relationships have power. And so they're called to be gentle and considerate of their wives and not divorce them over silly reasons. In the same way, wives are called to respect their husbands and not lead them over silly reasons. And what this does is it changes the way we understand what it means to be in relationship to each other this was not intended to be a stick. This was intended to be a gift that lifts up both the fact that we are broken people and sometimes relationships end and sometimes life has to go on and also the, the idea that we are called to a better love that even though sometimes we fall short, we have a hope to move beyond because we understand what it means to treat people right differently than what other people do. And I can't think of a time in my life where it becomes more important for us to hear the message that we as people who follow Jesus are called to treat people differently than we've been taught by our culture. I can't think of a time in my life where it's more important for me to hear that we are called to consider people more carefully because we follow Jesus Christ than we're taught by our culture that we are called to have hearts that are not hard and to have consideration for everybody because we follow Jesus Christ, then we are taught by our culture that teaches us that revenge is good, that teaches us that grudges are fine, 
and that teaches us that we should use even the most difficult situations in people's lives to beat each other up. Jesus calls us to love each other. We have six weeks of gospel messages right now that we're smack in the middle of that come from Mark chapters 9 and 10. And what we see in these gospel lessons are some really important things for us to hear as people of God because Jesus is talking about what it means to live in God's kingdom as people who follow Jesus. Jesus is telling people what it means to be a disciple, what it looks like to be a member in the kingdom of God, to be a citizen of God's kingdom, to be someone who follows and loves and is part of the church. And Jesus sees later in this gospel that people are trying to bring children up to Jesus to bless to be blessed by him, and his disciples are speaking rudely to them. This makes Jesus angry. You know, Jesus has just spent most of chapter 9 with a child on his knee as an example of what kinds of people the kingdom of God really welcomes. Those people who come with open hearts, those people who come with curiosity, those people who come and are willing to be vulnerable in their love, vulnerable in their listening, Vulnerable in the way they have relationships with each other and the way that children are. In a way that we often lose as adults because we get hurt and we don't like it. So we close ourselves off. And so Jesus rebukes his disciples and says, let the children come to me. Unless you come to me like one of these children, you can't enter the kingdom of God. And, you know, I guess there's a couple ways to hear this. One way to hear this is with that stick of the law where where we hear it and we say, you hear that? Jesus said that some people are in and some people are out. And if you don't do what he says, you better watch out. You know, in my fear, that's one way that I can hear this because I'm always kind of scared that there's something I've done in my life where God's going to say, yeah, no thanks. But I think there's another way that we can hear this. The other way that we can hear this is in the context of what Jesus has been talking about the whole time where we look at the people that Jesus has been dealing with in chapters 9 and 10, Jesus casts out a demon from someone who's possessed. This is certainly not someone who's typically considered to be part of the in crowd. You know, if we had someone who was acting in the ways demon-possessed people are described as acting in the New Testament during worship here at St. Matthew's, I suspect they might have a visit from the ushers before too much time goes by. You know, we... We think about the disciples who said last week, Jesus, a man is casting out demons and he's not one of us. Not, oh, he's casting out demons in your name and he's not one of us. You know, not he's casting out demons in someone else's name. Not he's not following you, but he's not one of us. And Jesus says something that's very important to us to hear today. Whoever is not against us is for us. You know, in in this gospel, we hear Jesus giving a word of, of empowerment and hope and comfort and grace to people who are in marriage relationships saying that you will not throw each other away lightly, even while recognizing human brokenness. And the least powerful people of all are the people who Jesus has the most concern for, the children, the people who a lot of times we, we shuffle out of the room so they won't make too much noise during the sermon, the people who a lot of times we... Say we want around us, but how much time do we spend telling them to be quiet? You know, the the people who we say, we want more of these people in church. And then when they tell us the things that they want in the church and the way they understand what church should be, we say, oh, isn't that nice, but we're going to go do this. What does it mean 
to love like a child. And how do you think children learn not to love like that? We teach them. We teach them to harden their hearts. We teach them to tamper their dreams. And we teach them to close their mouths when they have the, the need to speak. And we teach them, even though we tell them we value what you say, we teach them that what they have to say is not important because we don't listen. Not here at St. Matthew's, but like some congregations over in Irmo do that. You know, we, we, we put them on council, and God bless those youth who are on council. What does it mean to love like a child and, and to be in relationship like a child and to love Jesus like a child with open hearts that love without fear and that accept without concern and that are open to giving love with open arms, with, without any kind of restraint? And how do we as the church teach our children that they don't have to close their hearts and that they do have a place where they are valued so that we can learn from them what it means to be a part of the kingdom of God. I, I tell you the truth, I'm someone who's been hurt in the church too. I've been hurt in the church because I wasn't expecting it. And I've been hurt in the church because I tend to be a pretty generous and accepting person. And I've done some hurt in the church too because I'm also a human being. But I hear a gospel like this, and it gives me hope, and it gives me direction, because it causes me to ask in my own heart, what does it mean to follow Jesus into those places where I become vulnerable in my love? What does it mean to follow Jesus into those places where God calls me to take risks on behalf of the people in the world who I want to be outside, and I have a few, because God loves those people too? What does it mean to be one who is open to this kind of openness and who becomes comfortable enough to accept it. This week as we leave out of this place, we go into our lives, whether we go to school or whether we go to work or whether we go to our houses, whether we're with our families or our friends, our spouses or our partners or whatever category of close relationships we have, maybe this is a week where we can begin to think to ourselves, how is it that I can relate to this person in a way that encourages them to have this kind of openness because I have it for them? How is it that I can begin to lay aside the hurt in my own heart so that the healing of God might be able to enter into me, that I might be able to offer it to other people who are hurting? How is it that we can do the hard thing in a culture that tells us to do different and love enthusiastically and forgive with zeal and work to create, not us and them, but recognizing that God loves everybody, creating a space where there's only us. Amen.